the topic tonight is called the prophetic church. So let me pray and we'll get into it. Sound good? I'm doing it anyways. Okay. Father, thank you for our gathering and Immersion Discipleship School, all of us that are here. And I just pray that you would teach us, God, that as we open your word in the book of Acts and 1 Corinthians, we ask that you would teach us about prophecy. And what I pray, Lord, is honestly, is that we would, uh, the misconceptions that we have, the misunderstandings that we have. Uh, I know some of us in this room are carrying some uh, insight on this topic. I don't dismiss that at all. But I pray where there are misunderstandings that you would adjust those so that we're accurately reading your word. God, we wanna know this topic. We wanna hear you for other people and we wanna be a voice. We wanna be an echo of your voice to people all around us, Lord, not just in these buildings, but outside these buildings, everywhere that we go. May we be a prophetic people. And I pray that tonight would be a catalyst for that in many of our lives. God, we pray that you would infuse our lives with faith to believe you, to believe your word, and to act upon it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you see from your notes, tonight's topic is called the prophetic church. And one of the questions that I get is, Ben, why do you focus on hearing God's voice so much? (laughs) I sort of wrote a book about it. And I'm writing a second. Why do you focus so much on hearing God's voice? And the answer to me is really simple. Or maybe I should put the question to you this way. Why do you focus on the prophetic gift? Because you don't always see that emphasized in churches. And I go to enough of them to know that. Or you don't always see an emphasis of hearing God's voice, the prophetic gift, the prophetic ministry, prophesying over people. Why do you focus so much on it? And my answer is really simple. The Church of Jesus Christ is a prophetic community. I wanna say that again. The Church of Jesus Christ is a prophetic community. And we see that from scripture. In the Bible, the book of Acts is the only inspired blueprint for what we call the church that we have. Amen. It is the only inspired blueprint that we have for what the church of Jesus Christ truly should look like. And yet I believe that we look so different. Now, culture has removed us from a lot of practical things, but principles are transferable from one generation to another. Sure, methods can change, but the message doesn't change. The principles don't don't change. Some of the way those messages are applied in the context that we live in, yes, of course, we're not in the first century. So in the first century, they had synagogues if they were Jewish, and pagans had temples. So there are things like they didn't have church buildings in those days. So there are times where people will say, well, I don't think anybody should have church buildings. Well, because the first century didn't have them. Well, in the first century, they couldn't have them, all right? They didn't have them. They didn't have the opportunity to buy land at times. Uh, So you have a lot of persecution where Christians couldn't even They didn't even have that option. So it's really kind of ridiculous to focus on things that don't really matter when we're looking at culture. What we need to look at is the message the same today. Are we really practicing what the Bible teaches in principle? Not going after all these little side comments and these side arguments that really don't matter, to be quite honest with you. And so I want to focus on what the Bible teaches. And when I look in scripture, specifically in the book of Acts, when I think about what the church is and what the church is supposed to look like, this is a question that came to me. What is the most widely exercised spiritual gift in the church today? Let me ask that question first. What is the most widely exercised spiritual gift in the church today? It's a real simple answer. It's not a trick answer. Teaching, teaching or preaching, amen? I want you to take a real good look at how this whole room is organized. It's organized for what? For talk, right? This whole room is organized that the pinnacle of what happens in the church happens right here. Fair enough. The number one gift that is exercised widely, that is widely exercised in the church is teaching. By far, that's absolutely the truth. In small groups, I lead small groups at our church, It's teaching, we have outlines, we teach, that's good. I'm not dismissing the fact that we need teaching, and by the way, we need good teaching in the church. Sound doctrine, good teaching, based on the Bible, and we need to practice what we preach, we need to live it out as well. But when you look at the book of Acts, the question that I've been asking time and time again, more and more, is do you see the most widely exercised gift in the book of Acts, the gift of teaching? You don't have to answer it. I just want it to, I want it to, before we even answer, why don't you just let it rest on you as a question? 
When you look at the book of Acts, from Acts chapter one all the way to the end of the book, and this is the inspired blueprint of the church. This is what they did. You can't debate what they did. It's what they did, and it's what God wanted recorded in his holy word so that we could look at it and we could draw from it as his church. And when you look at it, time and time again, you see prayer, you see hospitality, and you see the prophetic all over the place. I mean, you just, it's undeniable. You see the prophetic gift flowing through the book of Acts, and so you have a lot of churches that don't believe in the prophetic gift or the prophetic ministry today, and I don't know what they do with the book of Acts. They have, you have to just dismiss really a lot of large portions of what's even, what you can even see in the book of Acts. Now, Ben, are you saying that the gift of prophecy is more important than teaching? I'm not saying that it is. I'm just saying that the Bible shows that it's very important. It's something that they exercise. It's something that you read about time and time and time again. And so it's amazing when you talk about spiritual gifts or you talk about what God does in the church and people ask me as a pastor, they say, Ben, why don't we see power in the church? And maybe a real simple answer is just this. Not sure if you're catching my answer or not, but I'm hoping that it's maybe the reason is because we organize for talk instead of organizing for power. And what if our structure changed so that we had it all? Not dismiss teaching, but what if we could organize around all that God does? I think people, as I told you last week, are scared of the things that don't always make sense. But we believe in a resurrected man. Doesn't make sense to me. You're kinda already in the crazy flow. You're already there. So don't dip your toes in the river, just jump in it, man. When you read the Bible, you have, opportun- you have moment after moment where people encountered God, he spoke to them, he gave them a word for somebody else, they shared that word, whether it was a vision or a dream or whatever, and they weren't dishonoring the Torah or the law or the, the book, the, the, the Bible that they had in those times, they weren't dishonoring that, they were actually believing in and following a supernatural God who was leading his people in the way that he chose. And so why do you focus on it, Ben? I focus on it, I focus more on this than maybe some do because I feel like there's an underemphasis of it. It's a really weird illustration. Are you ready for it? If you went into my closet and I had three shirts and 25 pairs of pants and I told you that I was gonna go to the store to get some clothes, what do you think I would go shopping for? Oh man, this is, this is really... This is really silly illustration, isn't it? Why? Because I don't have many shirts. And so I'm going to go out and look for the thing that I don't have instead of buy another pair. Some of you probably have a real problem with this. Well, like, what's one more pair of pants? Well, it, it, that's a bad thing when you have no shirts. However, I'm going to emphasize the thing that's um, underemphasized, okay? I don't want to overemphasize it. I simply want to bring it back up to the level where we're emphasizing things together. That's the point. So I believe that when you look into the book of Acts, it records prophecy and prayer. Prophecy and prayer. Remember, I talked last week about how that line can be very thin when you're praying and you're praying things that God is speaking to you and you don't even know that you're prophesying over people because something spiritual is transacting and happening You almost see it in every chapter. And I challenge you to just go through the book of Acts and you tell me what you find. Teachings there, absolutely. We need solid, sound doctrine. The Bible says in Acts chapter two that they adhered to the apostles' doctrine. However, they prayed, they prayed, they prayed, and they heard from God and they spoke what God was saying. That was a normal practice in the New Testament. It is not a normal practice of the Western church today. It is why we don't hear from God. It's because we don't focus on God. We don't focus on hearing from God. We don't focus on receiving words from God. And even in some circles, when you do have words from God and you speak those words to people, they say, thank you, that was really nice, but a lot of us don't even know how to receive a prophetic word because we've never been taught how to receive a prophetic word. 
Honestly, I mean, it's like people will line up like they're sugar pills, just hand out prophetic words, and that was really encouraging, and if you walk away, you won't, you won't remember that word because we're not told how to test prophetic words, you know, how to weigh them, how to receive them, how to respond to them. You don't even hear a lot of that teaching anymore, and I regularly hear people tell me, like, I remember when we used to talk about the stuff you talk about back in the 80s, or back in the 60s, or back in the 90s. How about 2016? That's what I'm thinking. As long as it's in the Bible, I'm thinking it's game. Amen? A couple of you need to think, think about that a little bit. That's fine. That's fine. Think about it. And so I want to give you tonight a theology of the prophetic church because I believe a New Testament church is prophetic. It's not just something a few spiritual people among us do. It's something that we have as a community that we need to develop as a culture. It should be normal that people come into a church and can receive a prophetic word from someone. It should be normal. Just as much as what I'm doing right now, I'm talking to you out of the Bible, it should be normal that people hear the voice of God. And that's what I'm advocating. Tonight I wanna talk to you just real quickly about a theology of the prophetic church. Now, you'll see there on your notes or if you have a Bible, you can open to Acts chapter two. And the context of Acts chapter two, we'll start in verse 15, is this, is that Jesus walked with his disciples for roughly three years, three and a half years, some say. He died, he rose again, and he's standing with them in the Acts chapter one, he's standing with them, and Acts chapter one, verse eight, he, he essentially reiterates what he's already told them. He says, go into Jerusalem. He doesn't tell them to go out and witness to people. He says, go into Jerusalem and wait, right? Go into Jerusalem and wait, for the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you you and you shall be my witnesses in Judea, uh, Samaria, Jerusalem, and the uttermost parts of the world. Go into Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father that he already has told them about. You will be my witnesses when this happens. And so they're in Jerusalem and they're waiting. There's 120 believers according to Acts chapter 2. And they're gathered and they're praying and they're waiting in obedience to what Jesus told them. And suddenly, in verse 1 through 4, the Bible says that in in this room came a rushing mighty wind. And so, you know, women's hairs all frazzled and hats are flying off and I don't know. But anyways, a rushing mighty wind comes into the room and then it says, flames of fire, tongues of fire was the description, came and rested on each person. I mean, that would be an awesome meeting, don't you think? Everybody saw it, flames of fire rested on people's heads. And then they all spoke in tongues, which the word tongues just means other languages. That's what they all spoke in tongues. And if you were to count how many different languages the people spoke in, there's 13 different dialects. So they're in a room, and before you know it, they're outside of that room, and they're out in the public, they're out in the crowd, and they're speaking in tongues supernaturally, and they're speaking in 13 different dialects so that all of these different people from places that are beyond this region are hearing them praise God in their own language. And one person says, it's, it records, they must be drunk because they're ecstatic, they're excited, they're speaking in all of these other languages. I mean, it is just a supernatural experience. People are not used to seeing that, and so one person just says, basically, they must be drunk. How in the world could this be. But Peter gets up in this same chapter and he quotes from the prophet Joel, he quotes an Old Testament passage to explain that the fulfillment of a prophetic word hundreds and hundreds of years prior to this moment actually is being fulfilled by what these people are seeing. So if you can imagine, the people that are having this happen to them are experiencing the fulfillment of a prophecy that was that was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before. And as other people, the onlookers are watching it happen, they're like, these guys are drunk, they're crazy. Some of them marveled, they, were, they didn't understand what was happening. And Peter gets up and, he, and this is what he says in verse 15. He said, for these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day, that's 9 a.m., but this is what was spoke, spoken of through the prophet Joel, and here's the prophecy. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Do you notice how he says prophesy twice? They will prophesy. 
And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun will be turned in darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that an amazing promise? It shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Real quick, uh, maybe digression here for a moment. When he says the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come, he starts with saying it shall be in the last days and then he talks about that great and glorious day. Just so you know, uh, biblical literature, the, the, day, the last days started on that day. It's a time period, it's a dispensation if you will. In the last days, starting on the day of Pentecost, in that moment that they were in, in the last days, God will pour out his spirit. And then at the end of that passage, he says, until basically the great and glorious day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the second coming of Christ. The last days started in this moment. The last day or the day of the Lord is the second coming of Christ. In the middle of that time, the time period that we're still living in is where God is pouring out his spirit and these kinds of things that they experienced and that this scripture references are still happening. Some people call it an open heavens. Some people call it the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. What we know is God poured out uh, his spirit and this was the day where the church of Jesus Christ was inaugurated. It, 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 some people say it's where it started. It didn't necessarily start there, but the church of Jesus Christ was inaugurated and it was starting, it, from this point on, it was widespread, okay, from this moment on. And Peter gets up and says this from the Old Testament passage. I want to point out two things that are important out of this passage that will help us with the theology of the prophetic church. And the first is, he says, the spirit has been poured out on all. In the Old Testament, only people of position were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why do you need to know this? Because prophets, priests, and kings were the anointed few in the Old Testament. There are very few exceptions to that. Some people have challenged me on the exceptions. I'll admit there are a couple, but it was so strange when they happened that people were wondering why it happened. So it was out of the norm. God occasionally did anoint somebody in the Old Testament apart from prophet, priest, and king. But the norm, the way in which God anointed people with the power of the Holy Spirit was based on position. And isn't it interesting that in Psalm 51, David was anointed a king, and when he misrepresented God because he slept with a woman that was not his wife, it was another man's wife, her name was Bathsheba, and then he tried to cover it up and ended up causing a murder of her husband. We know that story if you've been around church for a while or, or the Bible. And, it, and this is what David says in one of his lamenting psalms. Listen to this. Do not, Psalm 51, 11, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, if you sing that song and you're a Christian, don't ever sing that song again. Because God's not gonna take his Holy Spirit from you if you sin. David prayed that prayer and sung that lament because he knew as a king that was anointed by the Holy Spirit, as much as he was anointed, it was positional, and if he misrepresented God, God would remove his spirit and his anointing from his life. Aren't you grateful that you live in the new covenant where God's not gonna take his Holy Spirit away from you because you sin? But David knew something about the covenant that he was living in. And it really is important for us to get a hold of this because he says, uh, Joel prophesies it, Peter emphasizes it, that in the last days, I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. It's important to know what he meant. He didn't mean believers and non-believers. That's not what, if you ever heard that, please dismiss that teaching. He meant all mankind, Jew and Gentile, male and female, young and old. He will pour forth his spirit on all. Isn't that amazing? God's people in the Old Testament were the Jews. What's happening in the new covenant is Jesus died for all. That's why it says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be be saved. Now, I want to explain something to you. The reason why these guys were so excited was not because they were Pentecostal. 
And I know some well-meaning people, when they teach, they go, I was just like drunk in the Holy Ghost, you know, and all that. And sometimes God overwhelms us with his power, and we use weird uh, terminology that would come from Acts 2 to say, I was drunk in the Spirit. But I want to tell you, I, I feel like we miscommunicate the weight of the moment that this scripture conveys. And we need to get back to what the Bible really meant. The reason that these guys were so ecstatic, the reason that they were so excited is because in the Old Testament, you had to be a prophet, a priest, or a king to receive the outpouring of the Spirit and to be able to hear God and have these kinds of encounters. And all of a sudden, overnight, these guys were just waiting there, being obedient to God, what Jesus told them to do. And the the outpouring of the Spirit comes upon them, and they realize, I don't have to be a prophet, a priest, or a king. I can be an anybody who calls on the name of the Lord and experience God because it's not positional anymore. It's relational. I can't say that twice, so I hope you got that. But the weight of history came upon them in one moment, and people do away with that moment. We don't understand that. I mean, you mean I can be anybody and I can experience God? I mean, my dad doesn't have to be a prophet. I don't have to be the next in line for the kingship. I don't have to be of the Levite priesthood. I mean, I can be anybody. And matter of fact, when you keep going with the story of the book of Acts, I don't have to be a Jew. I mean, I don't have to be one of God's oldest friends. I mean, I can actually be somebody that came out of paganism. I mean, they got excited because that's something to get excited about. They weren't just intoxicated because they were Pentecostals and they were being sort of strange, like, whoa, man, I'm just drunk in the Holy Ghost. I don't understand all that stuff sometimes either. I'm saying that this moment of history should not be dismissed. There is a reason to be ecstatic, not just for them, but also for us. God poured his spirit out on all genders, generations, and nations. And that's where the gospel reaches. That's why they were so excited. The second thing is all will be able to prophesy. How many times have you heard a message that when the day the church was born, the thing that was prophesied over the church is that they will prophesy? I mean, you just don't hear that. Like, Peter said it twice, two times for emphasis and importance. That's a biblical principle. Whenever something's repeated within a paragraph, within a framework of prophecy or a passage of scripture, when it's repeated twice, there's an importance on it. There's an emphasis for a reason. He says it twice, they shall prophesy because now people that couldn't hear from God can hear from God. People that didn't speak for God now speak for God. People that never represented him, they actually had a mediator come in between them. They had a Moses, they had a priest, they had a prophet. The prophet received the word from God and told the people. The priest would go before the presence of God and mediate for the people. And Moses went up on the mountain and talked to God and came down and told the people what God told him. Now, you and I can walk up the mountain ourselves. That's incredible. Why do I believe that we are a prophetic community? Because there's only one mediator between God and man, and that man is Jesus Christ. He died, he rose again, so that everybody could come into the kind of relationship that often, mostly, is not even taught. We're given these little cups. Get your little fill. And it ends up becoming religion rather than relationship. It it ends up becoming a spurt of God's water instead of a fountain that's supposed to, according to Jesus in John 7, 37, rivers of water will flow from your innermost being. Of this he spoke of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that if we don't have a theology of us being a prophetic church, then what we have is limitations on what it is that we are, what it is that we can do, and what it is that we're supposed to do. Don't you love the fact that when you go and share the gospel with somebody, you have power? I mean, that's really reassuring to me because I don't really want to rely on my eloquence, my articulation, or even my best day. I mean, I got some pretty good days, but on my best day, I'm not really sure that it's good enough to convey to somebody everything that I really want to that Jesus is. I fall short all the time. You fall short, and it's, we have more than that. We can hear God's heart for people. We're a prophetic community. We can hear the Holy Spirit. So it's very, very important. All can prophesy. Once again, in the Old Testament, it was prophets, priests, and kings heard from God for the people. They were the mediator. In the New Covenant, they're actually the mentors. And I'll I'll talk to you about that in in a minute. 
So the consequences of the outpouring on all means that all will prophesy, all can hear and speak the words that God gives. Our theology of prophecy is defined by our theology of the Holy Spirit. What is your theology of the Holy Spirit? What do you believe? That's what I'm asking. I'm not trying to give you big words. What do you believe about who the Holy Spirit is, where the Holy Spirit is, and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through your life? What do you believe about that? It starts, what I'm saying starts with that. Because when we have a spiritual gifts theology or we have an understanding of spiritual gifts, if, if it's not an understanding based on our theology of the Holy Spirit, somehow it's gonna be a little bit off. It starts with knowing who the Holy Spirit is. He's the giver of the gifts. They're not gifts of them, they're gifts of the Spirit. So you have to know what you believe about him before you talk about what he brings. And this is where the Bible reveals that he comes to indwell us and then he comes to empower us, both and. If you say yes to Jesus, you give your life to him, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you. That we call regeneration. That's a theological term, regeneration. You're born again, you're made alive, you're made new. What this is talking about is you're empowered the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be a witness. That's what some call the baptism with the Holy Spirit, being empowered with the Holy Spirit, and the interchangeable term would be also the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people get hung up on terms. So you'll hear me say the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, we're not getting saved because salvation comes by believing on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, makes us new, we're now alive spiritually. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is where we're immersed, covered, saturated, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness. It's different. You, you follow with me? I hope so. You missed our spiritual gifts class and I went over this like hours of it. So if you're interested, I, I won't go back through it. God is going to speak to and through everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. No longer do we have a priest or a prophet or a king or a mediator for those that call on the name of the Lord, we actually, as Christians, go out into a world that doesn't know him and we become mediators to that world to facilitate a relational connection to God through Jesus Christ. So now we represent him, we represent his word, his eternal word, but we also represent his words. The Holy Spirit will speak to us and speak through us. Why would I say that? Because the book of Acts is chock full of those kinds of examples. I mean, I could give you time and time and time again where that's the case. Many of them are in my book, but there's several of them that, that you can read about in the book of Acts. Paul knew, let me just give you an example. Paul knew, uh, based on the teaching of the apostles, which we have recorded in the gospels, he didn't have that then. Paul knew what his mission was. Go and make disciples, go and preach the gospel. So he's going to and fro, starting churches, what God, he knows God wants him to do based on the apostles' doctrine. So he doesn't need to know what to do but as he's going, there's one night where he tried to go into Bithynia and the Holy Spirit told him not to. Well, he heard the Holy Spirit tell him where to go and where not to go. That was something that happened. Then he goes to sleep. During the night, we would call this the Macedonian call, he has a vision in the, in the night where a man appears to him and points to Macedonia, which was another region, not where he was. As he's pointing there, he's saying, come over to Macedonia and preach the gospel. Paul wakes up in the morning and guess what he knows? Well, he knows where to go. <laughs> he had a prophetic encounter that told him where to go. Time and time again, you have this guy named Agabus who was known as a prophet. Agabus prophesied what was gonna happen. He actually prophesied over Paul that Paul was gonna be bound by the Gentiles and uh, eventually his life was gonna be taken. I forget exactly how it goes, but Agabus prophesied things that God was saying. And you find that to be the case in Acts chapter 13. When uh, they're worshiping and fasting before the Lord, the Bible says there were prophets and teachers that were there, and the Holy Spirit spoke. Read it for yourself, Acts 13. The Holy Spirit spoke and said, set apart for me uh, Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, for the work that I have called them to. How did the Holy Spirit speak? I remember, I, I don't know if I told you in this class, I remember I was in a class one time at a Christian church and they said the Holy Spirit can speak on his own through thin air. That's not what happened. That's why it says there were prophets and teachers that were there. And then it says, as they were fasting and praying, the Holy Spirit spoke. How did he speak? He spoke through a prophet. 
He spoke through a prophetic word. Does it make sense? There's a reason why it said there were prophets there. It's so simple. I don't know why when I originally went to this one class when I first became a Christian, they told us that the Holy Spirit would speak out of thin air. So I was kind of waiting uh, for that to happen like in groups of people and it never happened in church. So I was like, wow, it's just an experience we never have, but we say it happens. Said, All right. Um, and I guess it has happened in scripture, but it wasn't like a normal, necessarily a normal thing. It happens a handful of times. But the point was God speaks through prophets, prophetic words, and a prophetic community of believers. What I'm, argue, what, what, what I'm, what I'm fighting for in this conversation up front, what do you believe? If you believe that the Holy Spirit lives in you and the Holy Spirit empowers you and the Holy Spirit wants to speak through you, if you believe that, guess what's gonna happen? The very thing I just explained is gonna happen. If you don't believe that, then you're, you're not open and available for those experiences to happen for you. It's, it's a fact. It's always over what you believe. I just showed you from the Bible. They shall prophesy. It's really simple. I'm gonna prophesy. It's, just, it's really what you believe. If, you wanna, if we fight that, then we're not going to experience it. Everybody that I can effectively disciple into this thinking prophesies, every one of them. Every one of them. I never have a problem with it. Now, they start out like this. I think that um, maybe, I mean, you probably already know this, that, you know, I mean, you're really smart and know the Bible and stuff, but it's possible I was praying and, well, I mean, I don't always pray, but, well, anyways, I was just praying and I think God might have spoken to me. I'm not really sure, but, but he wants you to be strong. Does that, like, mean anything to you? I mean, you start, that's an exaggeration. Quite frankly, it's a really bad exaggeration. But that's where we start. And, 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 and here's the thing, like, it starts small, but there comes a confidence. There comes a, it's like speaking in tongues. People are so afraid of speaking in other languages, spiritual languages that God gives. If that's you, don't be afraid of anything the Bible talks about. Let's just start there. Why? Why are we afraid? I mean, we're not afraid of so much stuff. I was watching TV today. I shouldn't even bring this up. I was on the elliptical machine doing my thing. You know what I'm saying? Doing my thing. And there was some crazy show that came up and people just love it, you know? And then oh, I bet you talk to people about speaking in tongues. It's like, that's just so weird. I'm like, gosh, man, I don't think so. We live in a world where we accept these things and not, I don't even get it. Like why we say something's weird when we're weird, you know? You ever go to somebody's house, and this isn't like my spiel on tongues. I've done that already. But you ever go to somebody's house and the family has their own language? And like you're sitting there at the dinner table and you're like, man, these people are interesting. <laughs> They're like, right? Do, do any of you have that kind of stuff flowing in your home? You don't want to admit it, but like you kind of talk funny. You call your buddy or you call your friend and you say some weird stuff to them and like, oh, yeah, what's going on? They're like, calm it down. You got your own language. But then in church, it's like, speaking in tongues is just so weird. You're weird. <laughs> You're really weird, and you know it, and so am I, and that's okay. But some of this stuff is, I mean, we just gotta get over a lot of that, that fear, that, that, that fear that creeps in, that tries to like attach itself to our brain and make us think that we're smart by being very cautious. No, you're not. You're just cautious for the wrong reason. You should jump in the river and go after everything that God says in the word, even to the point where you might have to get pruned back a little bit. I'll tell you, it's a lot harder to plant and grow a tree than it is to prune one back. At least the tree's already there. I mean, give me five people that will have some confidence and some faith and they'll take a risk for heaven's sake and maybe we'll get something done. Amen. Right? I like you guys. <laughs> we are prophetic people because of the outpouring, the baptism, the filling of God's Holy Spirit. My question for you tonight is, are you baptized with the Holy Spirit? You say, what, did, what does that mean? Are you filled with, saturated by, immersed in, covered with? Are you flowing in the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you hungry to be baptized, immersed, covered, saturated by the power of the Spirit? Not because you want to be powerful, but because the Bible says they shall prophesy. And when you read the Bible and the effects of the prophetic, you see how people come alive. And Jesus talks about he knows his sheep by name. When a prophetic word comes out, it's like all of a sudden somebody realizes God knows my name. 
That's what the prophetic can do. We hear God and we speak from him. He doesn't need us to speak necessarily for him, but we speak from him. And it's not at the same level of scripture. Scripture's the eternal word. It's the foundation, the cornerstone of understanding our salvation and all of those things that can't change. I'm talking about hearing his voice in the world that we live in today, that people know that there's people that hear him and speak from his heart and from his mind. The prophetic gift. We shouldn't lose this stuff. This is our inheritance. This is what we're called to walk in. And you know, generations past have walked in this in great power. We need to recapture this. We need to recover it. We need to walk in it. We need to turn the television off. We need to turn some music off. And we need to turn God's voice on. And then we need to go and speak his word to people. And the more testimonies that we have, the more we are excited to do the thing that we're created for instead of be distracted by the thing that fills our mind with total insignificance. All people can prophesy. Now, let's look at what prophecy is for a moment. Prophecy is the function of someone speaking what God is saying. It implies that we heard his voice. We'll go through that in just a minute. Prophecy means to foretell, which means to the present priorities of God, and it means to foretell, to say something before it happens that God reveals. Forthtell, speak forth God's present priorities, and to foretell, speak about something before it happens. Prophetic people, which I'm speaking of a prophetic community, all of us can see, we can hear, and we can speak what God is communicating to us for other people. Now, I talked to you for three weeks about hearing God personally. Now we're talking about hearing God prophetically, which means by nature we're hearing God for other people and we're sharing it with them. Revelation or hearing God is defined by, you know, the revelation, the, the receiving, but prophecy is defined by the speaking. So you could hear something for someone and never say it to them. Well, it's not really a prophetic word until you speak it. It needs to be spoken out. It's defined by speaking. So I'm not really interested in retroactive prophecies. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. Well, you didn't say anything. I don't always like retro retrospective prophets is what I call them. Yeah, God revealed that to me. Well, now you say it. Because it doesn't take any risk to look backwards and live in the fulfillment of something that happened and just throw your lot in and say, yep, I knew that was going to happen. We need the prophetic gift to be moving forward, not just to be looking back. Okay, God's speaking to us for reasons. And let me add this because I talked to you about the book of Acts. Isn't it just, this is just for free. Isn't it interesting that God is speaking more in the book of Acts than maybe sometimes our experience? But could we say that if we're on mission, that maybe it's because the people that are on mission and setting their life apart for the purposes of God, they're hearing him more? It's the whole parked car or driving car scenario. You're driving, you're gonna at least, whether you take a wrong turn or not, you're gonna get somewhere. You're parked, I mean, you don't really, the GPS coordinates don't really matter. I mean, it's not gonna even say anything until you start moving, right? So maybe the reason that we're not hearing God prophetically is because we're not positioned at all to pray for anybody. We're not positioned all missionally whatsoever. I, I just think that's the reality of, of it, is that if we're engaged in the mission of God and if we pray for people, we're gonna hear him more often, just the way it is. So my, my question, my first question to you was, are you baptized with the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with, covered by, saturated with, immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit? That's the question you have to answer. Are you hungry for that in your life? That's question number one, right? Question number two is, are you engaged in the purposes of God in your life? And are you praying for people and asking God to speak to you for those people? See, because I believe that you'll hear him speak about people the more that you ask him. Now, here's, here's a, another thing. Uh, we, we believe in omniscience. I do, of course. It's, it's a, to me, it's a foundational thing. Some people today, it's popular not to believe in the omniscience of God as an attribute. God is omniscient, meaning he has perfect knowledge. He knows the past, the present, and the future about everything. That's omniscience, perfect knowledge. God has perfect knowledge. Unlike us, he knows the past, present, and future about every person on the planet at the same time. Isn't that awesome? Don't you like that? Uh, you sure? I mean, a couple of you just were like, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So uh, here's my theology. 
If God knows the past, present, and future about every person on the planet at the same time, and here we are in a room with however many people, and if I ask God for a word for Tanya, I just don't think it's a big deal for God to give me some information about Tanya that will encourage her. Do you? My theology is the Holy Spirit lives in me, right? I have spiritual gifts. He's called me to serve. He's called me to honor. He's called me to encourage. He's called me to bless. If I ask him, for a word for Tanya, I just think it's not far-fetched to believe that God, knowing everything about everybody, can give me something for her that will help her, that I don't have to know naturally, that supernaturally he can. I mean, that's just a really basic theology that should make sense. And it's a shame that some, I, I think, dismiss just that's the simplicity of that. Now, let me explain to you really quickly the difference between prophets, prophetic gift, and prophetic anointing, because some of you say, well, are you saying all of us are prophets? No, I'm not. There are prophets in the New Testament. A, a prophet, the prophetic gift or a prophet gift is a ministry gift that some have to equip the body of Christ. That's Ephesians 4. Some are prophets in the New Testament. Not, not all, not even many, but some are prophets, meaning that their gift is not just given to prophesy, hear God and speak to people. Their gift is to equip everybody for the work of prophesying. Just like an evangelist, their gift isn't just to evangelize. Their gift is to equip the body to evangelize. That's a prophet, okay? In the old covenant, a prophet was to hear God and speak to the people. They were the mouthpiece of God. In the new covenant, they're not the mouthpiece, they're the mentor for other people to do what they never could do in the old covenant, but now we can because we all have the Holy Spirit. It's just a fact. And that's why you wonderful people are here. Prophetic gift, a motivational gift that some have as an inward consistent drive to hear and speak from the Lord, okay? Some of us have the prophetic gift. It's a motivational gift. It's a Romans 12 gift. Not everybody has that. Then there's the prophetic anointing. That's what we call a manifestational gift. That's 1 Corinthians 12. That's where everybody can prophesy. And that really depends on your faith. If you don't believe what I'm saying, you're never gonna probably prophesy. It's just that simple. If you do believe that it's a manifestational gift given by the Holy Spirit and he'll use you in that gift and you're available for it, then you're gonna receive words for people. It's just that simple. And if you tell me, Ben, I've been a Christian a long time and I haven't had that happen, I guess my question is, have you ever been taught that it's true? And if you were on a job site and you were never taught how to do something, did you ever do it? No. And so it doesn't dismiss your spirituality. It doesn't mean that you love people less. It doesn't mean that you're less of a Christian. It just means that you were never taught that you can have something that you can have. You were never told that you can do something that you can do. And I'm trying to add that to your tool belt. Doesn't mean if you prophesy, if you prophesy up a storm, it doesn't mean you're gonna love people better or be more kind or have more fruit of the spirit. Doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean you're gonna be a better Christian. It may mean that you'll have more of an, a more effective witness and you will have more power available to minister to people for his glory. That does mean that for sure. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna be a better Christian. And sometimes people get those reversed and that's not healthy. All right, so prophetic anointing is what I'm talking about, that we're all a prophetic community and we have that anointing because we have the Holy Spirit. So that comes and goes for each of us, but we can ask him and he'll give that to us. Now look what Paul said, and I'm kind of wrapping up. I don't have a whole lot left. But 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse one. This is where Paul is, has been in a discussion about spiritual gifts. Prior to that, in 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about love is the motivation of the gift, of course. He doesn't dismiss the gifts are important. He just says we do it in love. And 1 Corinthians 14, 1, he says this, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So he says, you do this in love, but eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. Oh my gosh. And if you keep reading, he says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. And these are the three things that the prophetic gift will definitely bring. The prophetic gift will bring strength, encouragement, and comfort. That's what will come when we prophesy uh, to one another as God gives that gift. Now, let me give you an, an illustration. Once again, I'm really into silly illustrations, so I hope this helps. But it's, at least for me, it makes sense in my pinball machine of a head. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Now, I don't believe that we desire things that we don't see. 
Think about that for a second. I don't believe that we desire things that we don't see. Okay, so the, on the television, you have commercials. And Outback Steakhouse has a commercial. I like Outback Steakhouse, amen? I mean, come on now, somebody. All right. So Outback Steakhouse has a commercial. And the commercial's 30 seconds long, and they spent $7 million to air a 30-second commercial. And the commercial shows a steak and a baked potato and, of course, a dessert. And in all this beautiful package is yours as you stop by Outback Steakhouse for $19.99. <laughs> and I don't think anybody saw that. Even if you love Outback Steakhouse, I don't think anybody saw that and ran down to Outback Steakhouse. Did you do that? Have you ever done that? Oh, my gosh, I've got to go right now. I mean, I just told my wife, Bridget, we've got to go right now. And she looked at me like, fool. <laughs> you, <know. laughs> you see, I just made dinner. What's wrong with you? And when I get up off the floor and we negotiate a better time for us to do said thing. No, none of us run out. It's a subliminal thing. We might say, if I were to ask you, is that effective? It's easy for us to write that off and say, man, that's not very effective. I've never, never, never seen a billboard. I've never, never seen a commercial uh, and run down to Outback Steakhouse. But it's one of those things that they know that you and I don't know. They didn't, they didn't blow $7 million dollars. What they're doing is they're putting something into our mind. It's markers. They're putting a visual into our mind that when we go to eat dinner, when we go out to eat, there's a possibility that we'll go to Outback Steakhouse because they're reminding us of something that we like. The business principle is this. Always leave something in someone's hand. The visual principle is always put it in front of people so they don't forget it. It's a principle. It's even a business principle. Always leave something in someone's hand so they're reminded of you and what your services are, okay? They know something that would cause them to spend $7 million. They're not dumb. The, the marketers are doing this for a reason. I wouldn't spend that money. They would. They did it for a reason. My point is this. You don't desire something that you don't see. They know something that I think we often do. Now, the reason that we don't have the gifts of the Spirit, and we're talking about prophecy, the reason we don't see that more often in our churches is very simple. It's because we don't see it. The reason we don't desire it is because you never see it. If the visual was there and the steak and the potatoes and the this and the that and the testimony was shared from the front, if you heard it more and you saw it more, guess what would happen to your little old heart? You'd go, man, I want God to speak to me like that. How many of you have had that happen? Man, I wish God would use me to encourage people like that. And if you haven't had that happen tonight, we're going to pray for something to ignite in you because you want God to use you like that, not because you want to be special. Because there are some of us, we were taught in a really good uh, Bible-believing church, well, it's all about the, it's, it's, it's not about the gifts, it's about the giver. You know, don't focus on the gifts, focus on the giver. You know where I found that theology to go? Absolutely nowhere. You know what people do? They say those kinds of things because they, they justify that nothing happens in their church. That's what happens. In our church, we just preach the Bible. Great, do you live the Bible? I guess that's my next question. It is illegal to, for us to talk about the prophetic and not want to prophesy. If God is saying to us that he's making something available, it should be something that offends us, it affects us, if we're not willing to do or we don't want what God's telling us to go after in the Bible. And so we develop theology that says, well, it's no longer for today. I'm a cessationist. I think all these things are done away. Even though the Bible doesn't say they're done away, I think they're done away. And then other people say, well, I'm a continuationist, which means that I believe these things are still for today. I might be throwing theology out there Far past some, but you, are you following me? There's theology that gets developed because people have no experience with the things that I'm talking about. And, you, and then they will say, well, those people are developing their theology on their experience. And you're developing your theology on a lack of experience. However, I'm actually developing my theology on the Bible. Because the Bible says, I'm sorry, let me read it again just to make sure that I'm being clear. I mean, I think I'm clear here. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. He doesn't give a disclaimer. You, 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 but not you. Just a couple of really spiritual people in the room. I, I am saying some exaggerative things, so don't get offended by the way I'm saying this, but I, I just, I'm, it's one of those things that happens in church where you're told what you can and can't do. Yeah. And I'm telling you, unashamedly, you can. 
You can, because God is no respecter of persons. He will use you, he will use you, he will use you. And guess what he'll do? He doesn't use the wise of this world, he doesn't use the smartest, he doesn't use all the people that have a doctorate degree and think they're really smart. He uses people that are actually willing to do something with what they read. That's the truth. And everybody sitting on the sideline judging those people saying, God's not using them and see the way they said this and they see that. Be, they've become everybody's editor and at the same time, they're not an author. And what I want to do is I want to kickstart you with your faith because you've got something in you that maybe you haven't even realized. You're carrying something that God will cause to explode and bless other people all over your life. Let me convince you. Let me convince you. I'm telling you, it's so true. Follow the way of love. Love people. Don't look down on people. Love people with all that you are, but eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. One of the reasons for this class is so that we can show it, so that we can show it. And if we show it in whatever level that we get, like, well, that doesn't look like the book of Isaiah. I mean, even if God gives us level two, isn't that amazing? It's better than zero. Sometimes God gives me general words. I'll go to a church and I'll start ministering to people and I'll start prophesying and I get like level two and I, and I walk away and I'm like, God, I just, man, I'd really like it if you'd give me like higher level revelation. You know, I preach the word everywhere I go, so I'm always preaching the Bible. But as I step out to minister in the things of the spirit, I'm always asking God for more. Why? Because I want people to hear from him. I mean, I, I know what it looks like when people listen to me teach. I, 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 lo- I love you fine people, but it looks, it, it, half the time it looks like just a tree full of owls, you know, just. <laughs> you know? And, 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 I, and I, we're really good at sitting and we're really good at looking and we're really good at listening, but I want us to be really good at speaking. Make a mistake. You know, nobody wakes up in the, I, and I get this, we'll, we'll actually have to go over this the next several weeks about what happens when you make a mistake. Well, the first thing is, you're not Isaiah, so you don't go, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Don't, don't say stuff like that. Just say, this is a sense that I have. This is a sense that I have. This is a picture that I saw. What if we just, that's, we're a prophetic community. We're learning. God's okay with you learning. There's a difference between having a license to sin and a license to grow. And for some of you, I just feel this in my heart. I'm giving you a license to grow tonight because that's what the Bible does. You grow into the things of the spirit. You grow into spiritual gifts. I remember one, one time I went to like, the, I preached on this college campus. I've done that several times, but I was at this one and, and I sat down with this guy who's from a Pentecostal church and I was talking to him about growing in the prophetic and, and spiritual gifts and hearing the voice of God. And this is what he said to me. He said, well, you, you can never miss a prophetic word. Like it's either God or it's not. I said, do you prophesy? No, it's not my gift. <laughs> of course you don't prophesy. That's why you would say something like that. But I asked him the question. I said, what's your gift? He said, teaching. I said, are you teaching at Jesus's level right now? Are you teaching at Jesus's level? I mean, if you wanna take your principle, it's either all from God or it's not. Take your principle and apply it to the gift that you say you have. Are you teaching at 100% Jesus's teaching gift right now? Are you doing that? Uh, well, uh... No, there's no concept for growth. There's no theology for growing in spiritual gifts. This is the weird stuff that people get burdened down with that causes what? No activity. And so I kick it right out of their thinking as hard as I can. Because I know where it goes. It goes to people doing nothing, saying nothing, praying nothing. That's where it goes. I've seen it. I'm, I'm tired of it. I, I'm tired of, I, I, won't, I don't even tolerate people saying that stuff to me. I just won't. <laughs> So the Bible says eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially you, pro- you prophesy. I'm just a child when it comes out. Man, I want to prophesy to people. I want to see them get lit up with God's power and his word to them. And then you're going to get criticized at times. You'll say, well, that's all about you. No, it's not. It's about Jesus. It's from Jesus. It's because of Jesus. And it's for people to connect with Jesus. Yeah, sure, you can do it for yourself. But I'm not doing it for that. You don't have to be convinced of that. God knows but you have to believe that you have a license to grow. And guess what? When you do something for yourself in your life, doesn't, isn't the Lord good enough to come alongside and help you like, hey, it'd be, that's not, you're not quite doing that right. Doesn't he help adjust you and align you? 
When you got a little pride in your life, doesn't God, isn't he good and he comes along and helps you out of that? Yeah. So why are we so strapped in these areas? Maybe, maybe not all of you are, but there are some that are, you know. And it's always about this, it's gotta be 100% accurate and it's perfect. That's perfectionism. That's not, that's not God's word over your life. That's not what he's doing. And, and matter of fact, if you, if you raise your kids that way, because if you think God's that way to you, if you raise your kids that way, tell me what the fruit of that's gonna look like. It's pretty terrible. We call God a good father, but some, some of us don't believe it. We don't. Because when it comes to things like this, it's like, well, I have to get it perfect or he's gonna strike me. No, he's not. Absolutely, he's got a, he's got a sense of humor. You know, I look in the mirror. I see, my, I see my wife's response after I get loopy when a meeting's happen. He's got a sense of humor. He's okay with you. I'm not trying to be irreverent. I don't, I don't ever want to create irreverence or inaccuracy. I'm just saying, I, I, I am absolutely 100% comfortable in my own skin, and I believe Jesus is okay with that. I'm not making excuses. I'm saying, I am growing, and I think Jesus is good with that. Are you good with that? And if you are good with that, then you're going to step out and do things that you otherwise wouldn't do. You're gonna say things that you otherwise wouldn't say. You're gonna listen because you're activated, you're active, you're a person that's about something. Prophesying is about strengthening, encouraging, comforting. I got off a little bit from where I wanted to go. Now, I'm gonna wrap up with this. I know I said I was gonna wrap up. I just digress, that's all that happened. So it's gonna take a little longer. Here's a basic pro uh, process of how prophecy works, okay? You wanna write this down, because uh, I'm gonna go through it real quickly. The first is revelation. That's where you receive from the Lord. You receive something from the Lord. We went over how God communicates, so I'm not gonna do that again. But you see something, you feel something, or you hear something. The second is interpretation. So revelation, interpretation. The Bible has a lot of examples of symbolic language. It's all over the Bible. And so the Lord gives me pictures of things a lot. I, I, I am a seer in that sense, I see visions and pictures consistently. It's normal for me. It's been normal since I was a Christian. That's how I know the gift that I've been given by God is because it's a flow in my life. I don't have to ask for it. Just I'll be talking with people and something will happen. I'll see something. I'll hear something from the Lord. It's a gift that I've been given. I know that's a resonant thing inside of me. Not everybody has that. We all have different gifts, but we all can prophesy because we can ask the Holy Spirit to give us something for people. For some of us though, we don't even have to ask. It just happens. It just comes out of who you are. Uh, interpretation though, roughly half of the dreams, visions in the Bible were symbolic and needed interpretation. Roughly half. And there's 234 references to dreams and visions in the Bible. So it's not like a little bit, it's a lot. There's a lot of symbolic stuff. And so I think people make mistakes when they like prophesy over people. I think the biggest mistakes come when they try to interpret something and they interpret it wrong. Right, so they get this word from the Lord and they say it and then it sounds kind of off and you're like, yeah, no, that's... You know, it's because the presumption that is in that is that this is what it means. But you can miss it in that, and it takes a long time. Can I tell you, it takes a long time to learn how to prophesy accurately? A long time. Um, I mean, I prophesy, or just, just to give you an example, thousands and thousands and thousands of times. I mean, I've been doing this for 15 years at least. And I'll go to a church on a weekend and I'll prophesy, I'll, I'll minister prophetically a hundred times in one weekend. That, that gives me credence to say thousands of times. And if you, anybody ever minister with me, a um, couple of you guys, you know exactly what I'm talking about. David, we just got back, we were down in Oregon and then we were in Burien. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of times in a weekend. It's one of the ministries that God's given us. We can prophesy, it's not just teaching. Teaching is one element. Prophesying, healing, we've got all of these things available, right? And we're a prophetic community. So it's so important. Interpretation is the area where most people can get it wrong. And you look at the Bible, I mean, you just see scriptures that, uh, I would, if I were to go down the road, I'd, I'd do a session on visions and interpretation. But it's amazing how like you look at a lion, for example, in the Bible, the metaphors that you see. What does a lion represent in scripture? Somebody give me an answer. Jesus, does a lion represent anything else in scripture? Satan, or us, right? The devil is a roaring lion. Jesus is the lion of Judah. You get a picture of a lion, what do you think God's saying to you? Guess what? You need to ask him what he's saying to you. You can make a pretty big mistake there. 
Because a lot of people will say, well, what does the Bible say about lions? And you're like, oh, it says a couple things. That's a, I think I told them that was the enemy. I think it could be the Lion of Judah. I don't really know. So it, it, but prophesying is about hearing the Lord. And so sometimes, you don't just speak so quickly. We learn to minister those words and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It takes time to do that. Another one is like house. In the Bible, you, you have house. House can mean life, church, family, nation, the house of Israel. A house represents the church. Built, uh, they built the foundation, uh, they built the house on the rock, the house meaning their life, Matthew 7. Just that one metaphor alone can mean a lot of different things. So when I see a vision, when God shows me something for somebody, I have to ask him what it means. And I do that just as I'm ministering to people. And we'll, we'll talk more about that now. So revelation, interpretation, administration is where you minister that word. It's when you speak that word. Once we receive it, we understand it, we minister, or we share that word. Administration just means I'm talking about saying it. And the fourth is application. And application, again, is like you gotta be careful. Sometimes when people prophesy, and we're gonna, you're gonna learn this in the next several weeks a lot. I'm gonna spend most of my time talking about how to share words that you get. Assuming that we're gonna get words, but as we get them, how to do that and not be Old Testament. <laughs> God told me to tell you, you know, like, especially if you're starting out, don't talk like that, all right? If you're a prophet and God's given you authority to speak like that, um, I would know if you were, if you're in here. Um, and I don't think there's anybody in here that, that functions on that level. Uh, then you can talk like that to a degree, but your words are so accountable. Like when I say something from up front on a Sunday morning, I know how accountable that is. I know the cost that it's gonna be too, because I know that there are people in the audience from our church even that don't believe what I'm doing is legitimate, and they question me as a person as to whether or not what I'm saying is from God. I know the cost. And so we have to weigh that and realize that where we are is where we speak. So if you're just beginning or you're kind of uncertain, all you gotta do is say, I, I think this might be a word from the Lord or I'm sensing this. You don't need to dress it all up. You don't need to put some sauce on it. You understand what I'm saying? You don't need to make it sound like it's more God. If it's the Lord, if it's from the Lord, here's what I've learned. It will stick. You understand what I'm saying? It, you don't have to dress it up and make it more and all of that. So it's unfortunate when people do that. Or I watch people fish a little bit. Like the application component is so funny because people will give the word and then they'll start telling people what they need to do. And if you're not careful, you end up teaching them. And then if you ask that person, what was the word? They go, I don't know. What you just did is you just lost them because you're trying to give them teaching when they just needed to hear from the Lord. Facilitate an encounter with God when you're with people and let that stand out to them. Um, again, I'm getting ahead of myself because we're gonna go over this, but application you have to be cautious with because you don't know everything, I don't know everything, and sometimes that word, we've gotta interact with people. Does that mean anything to you? I like to ask those questions. Does this mean anything to you? And they'll respond back to you.